Hey guys, you're listening to the Simple Power Podcast, where we think practically about the presence and the power of God, and I'm your host, Duke Lamastra. You know, everything about who we are and what we are called to do can really be summed up and defined in one word, love. God is love, and we are made in the image of God, therefore we are made in the very image of love himself, and when we demonstrate authentically and effectively the love of God to the world around us, there is no limit to the impact that God can have through us. That's what this week's discussion is about. So let's get into it. Jesus was asked the question in Matthew chapter 22, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus answered, and this is in Matthew chapter 22, verse 7. Jesus said, excuse me, verse 37. Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then he goes on to say, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You know, when Jesus began teaching, he was he would say things like, and you know, you'll find this in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus began teaching saying, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause is in danger of the judgment. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. What was Jesus doing? He was getting to the root issues of sin, taking away our ability to justify ourselves because, well, I've never done anything like that. I've never murdered anybody. I've never uh, committed adultery with somebody. Like, I've never done those things. I've never done anything that bad. And I know you can't see me right now because you're listening on the podcast, but I'm doing air quotes around a lot of these things that I'm saying right now. So we sometimes will try to justify ourselves and we'll say, I haven't done anything that bad, but Jesus is dealing with the root issues of sin problems. He's highlighting the deep issues of the heart that often lead to overt sin. Sometimes it's the covert sins, the ones that we can easily hide that become the most dangerous. Why? Because no one, no one can call us out on it because they don't know, because they don't see it. It's dangerous because we all know how to put on a mask and walk around acting like everything is okay. And so we'll justify ourselves because we haven't done anything where we've been caught in sin or anything like that or, or where it's been in the public eye maybe. And so Jesus is dealing with the fact that sin is more than just these big overt things that people do sometimes, like that that's the only problem. No, he's, he's going a little bit deeper than that. Grace, let me just say, is the very ability of God working in our lives that empowers us to walk rightly. I know that there are those that would say that grace gives you an excuse to sin, that grace gives you, uh, people like to throw around this term, the license to sin, but that's not what grace does. That's an abuse of grace. Remember, you've heard it said, that you shall not murder, that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you even look upon a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. The law said do not commit adultery. Grace says lusting in secret is adultery of the heart. It's just as bad. Covert sin is just as bad and destructive as overt sin. Now, now here's the balance. The grace of God is so much better than we realize. We are saved by grace period. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved because of the good things that we do. We're not saved because of those things. We are saved by his grace. 
His grace is so good and so complete that our sin doesn't actually even separate us from God. I know that a lot of people think that just because they messed up, because they sinned, because they did something wrong, because they missed the mark, that they are separated from God, that now they have to go through this ritual of repentance and beating themselves up and feeling bad and walking around with guilt and condemnation and shame and all this kind of stuff that sin brings. But that's not what we have. We have a better invitation than that under grace. We are not separated from, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things that come, neither height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus went to the cross and he died in our place and he took our penalty and he took our punishment. He took our sin upon himself, the sin that you've already committed in the past and the sin that you're going to commit in the future. It has all been nailed to the cross and Jesus declared it is finished. But grace still calls us to a higher standard. Paul says it like this. In Romans uh, chapter 5, I'm actually going to read a few verses here, starting the last couple verses of Romans chapter 5, and then continuing right into Romans chapter 6. Paul says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now going into Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. And I'm reading from the New King James. Certainly not. For how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I'm going to skip a couple of verses and I'm going to look at verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Come on, once for all, that the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Reckon or consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Last verse, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. You have a new nature in Christ. You are a new creature, a new creation. Your new nature is not a slave to sin like the old nature was. We often get this part completely backwards and we really mess up when we say things like, well, after all, you know, like when we mess up, when we sin, when we do something wrong, well, you know what, after all, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Or we blame it on the sinful nature or the devil made me do it. Guess what? The devil didn't make you do it. He did not make you sin. Sin didn't make you sin. A sin nature did not make you sin. Listen, you do not belong to sin anymore. You belong to God. You were crucified with Christ. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Your old nature, the sinful nature, the one that was a slave to sin has been crucified with Christ. And the death that he died, he died to sin once and for 
all. We do not have the luxury anymore to blame a sinful nature for our sin habits. I'm sorry to tell you that, but that's just the way it is. Now, do I still sin? Yes, I do. Do I mess up? Yes, we all mess up. We all sin. We all miss the mark. But is his grace sufficient? Yes, absolutely. His grace is sufficient. His grace is more than enough. We we read that one verse a few seconds ago at the end of Romans chapter 5, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So I'm not talking about sin because I want to harp on sin or because I want to beat you up for your sin or for your mistakes or anything else. That is not my intention at all. All I want to say to you is this, that when we call sin something else, when we take our issues and our problems and we try to wrap them up in a package saying, well, you know what? That's just my sinful nature acting up. We are missing the point. We just need to actually learn to call sin what it is. Sin is sin. And it's not just when it's the public sin that people see. It is the deep areas where we have a sin struggle or we have wrong thinking or whatever that causes us to think in a way that is against the reality of what Christ has done for us and what he's made available to us and who we are in him. I told you guys a few weeks ago that I had I was starting a, a, a series dealing with the subject of identity, and I talked about identity for one week, and then I had a couple of interviews that, that have gone in between then and now, and I know this doesn't sound much like an identity discussion, but let me just tell you that it is, because the way that we think, the way that we see ourselves is so important, and it is so foundational. You are not just a sinner saved by grace. You are saved by grace, but because you are saved by grace, you are not a sinner anymore. And you need to stop looking at yourself as a sinner and beating yourself up and condemning yourself and walking around in that condemnation because there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Romans 8 verse 1. You need to live by that verse and live by that reality because condemnation seeks to kill you. Condemnation seeks to destroy you. Condemnation seeks to render you ineffective and unable to move forward in your life, in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So look, let me just reiterate, when I say that, when I'm talking about sin being bad and and, and all this kind of stuff, I don't mean that it's bad because it separates us from God. Sin does not any longer separate us from God. His sacrifice really was good enough to bring us to the Father once and for all. But when we put spiritual sounding titles on stuff as an excuse to not live the way that we're called to live, it is really not helpful and it messes us up, it trips us up, and it causes us to live with less than the fullness of what God has done for us and what he's prepared for us, with less than the fullness of what Christ died to secure for us. Now look, If we see that on the news, a man murdered his wife, we can all look at that and condemn it and say that man was wrong and he deserves to be punished. Absolutely. 100% in agreement. He deserves to be punished. He was absolutely wrong. We know that we get that. That's an overtly sinful, wrong, immoral act. But then we will ignore the resentment or the bitterness that we've been harboring in our own heart toward that person that wronged us like 18 years ago and we think that it's okay because it's on the inside and nobody knows about it. 
Like, we can openly condemn the overtly racist acts that we see on TV. We can condemn overtly racist acts of, like, from groups like the KKK and things like that. And we can say, oh, well, that's obviously wrong. And we get that. But then ignore our own predispositions to judgment of another person simply because they're different than we are. Because they have a different skin color than we do or whatever. Jesus said, essentially, love the Lord and love your neighbor. On these two things, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. Now, just look at the Ten Commandments, for example. Do not murder, right? Well, if you love your neighbor, you won't murder your neighbor. That's pretty safe to say, right? Do not commit adultery. Well, if you love your neighbor, you won't sleep with your neighbor's spouse, right? Do not steal. If you truly love your neighbor, you're not going to steal their stuff. You're not going to take their stuff without permission. So the question becomes, who is my neighbor? Let me help you. If they're walking around on two legs, they are your neighbor. If they come into your airspace, your zone of contact, they are your neighbor. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. And then the question comes, well, when, when did we do these things? When were you hungry and we fed you? When were you ever, Jesus, when were you ever in prison? (laughs) When were you ever sick? That never happened. Jesus was never imprisoned and he was never sick. So they're like, when, when the question is, when, when did we do this? And Jesus says, in as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Like when we demonstrate authentic love, when we demonstrate who God is to people around us, not just to those that we like, not just to those that are like us, not just to those that we relate to perfectly fine and there's no problem, there's no struggle there, there's no issue with us demonstrating love in that way. But when we go to the least of these, when we go to those that have maybe been rejected, those who have been marginalized, those who've been looked at disgracefully, those that have messed up, those that rub us the wrong way or whatever, that we're not making distinction and saying in our hearts, well, they're less than I am. They're different than I am. That is not what love does. When we love authentically, when we love the way that God loved us and in the way that he created us to love others, that is an incredible, a beautiful expression of who we are, of our identity in Christ Jesus. Remember, we are created in the image of God. And John tells us in 1 John, he tells us that God is love. And so if we're created in the image of God, we are created in the image of love. 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, John says he is a liar. It just doesn't work. Every person that you ever come into contact with for the rest of your life is an image bearer of God, created in the image of God. You and I are called to show love, to show grace, to show mercy, not even because of the fact that they deserve it or don't deserve it or whatever, but because of the fact that we did not deserve it and yet he gave it to us anyway. So look, racism, prejudice, hatred for other people, these things have absolutely zero place in the life of the believer. We literally have two jobs to do. It's love God and love one another. God is love and we are made in his image. Anytime I prematurely judge another person based on 
whether it's their skin color or where they grew up or what denomination they're from or what school they go to or whatever, I am missing the point. I can praise Jesus all day long and shout hallelujah all day long, but if I am not loving my neighbor, I am missing the point. And again, I don't get to pick and choose who my neighbor is. And love doesn't just mean that I say in my heart, well, I love every person and then that's it and then justify myself. No, love means that I get involved in your life. It means that I sacrifice time to check up on you. It means that when you're hungry, I I feed you. When you're thirsty, I give you something to drink. When you're naked, I clothe you. When you're sick, I come visit you. It means all these things. It's active. It's proactive. It's not just because I like you, and it's not just because I can easily get along with you. Now, I I agree. I get it that there is normal human nature. There's this thing that happens where we are drawn to people that are like us, whether it's people that look like us or dress like us or talk like us or that like the same sports teams or whatever. Like one of the things I noticed in Bible school when I went to Bible college, uh, all of the kids that didn't want to be there found each other within the first few days. It just, you're attracted. It happens. Similar interests. It's just easy. It just works. It's, it's fine. The problem is when it becomes this us and them thing and this us and them mentality, it exists everywhere. Do you realize that the whole world is trying to divide us? It's always Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative, white or black, Baptist or Pentecostal or Methodist or whatever else, pre-trib or post, like, I don't know, different things that we can, we can put out there. But there's this, I, this centers around division. How about who cares? Are you a person created in God's image or not? There is only one side. And those of us that have experienced the life-changing and empowering gift of God's infinite grace, we have a responsibility to shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in this world that we live. And we cut our own legs out from under us when we divide ourselves. A house divided against itself can not stand. We are the family of God, the household of God, and we get to put on display the love of Jesus and be the demonstration of his goodness. But we get so caught up, we can get so caught up with things that at the end of the day only limit and stagnate our effectiveness. Do you have any idea like how many people are out there not going to church and therefore not getting fed the word of God, not because they don't want relationship with God, but because they can see from the outside looking in that the church is overrun with with thinking that's that's wrong, with prejudicial thinking, with hypocrisy, with division. Now, I'm not completely excusing them for making the for, for making the choice to stay on the outside, but look, we have a responsibility and a privilege to demonstrate Jesus, the one who authentically and perfectly relates to every single one of us and loves every single one of us, every color, every ethnicity, every single economic background. He loves us all. He accepts us all. He embraces us all. We do it by honoring people. We do it by caring about the things they care about. Look, I get this thing and this, you, you might not want to hear this and, and, and whatever. And this might be controversial to, to some people, but I get it that all lives matter. Of course, all lives matter. 
But why does the statement Black Lives Matter have to be so offensive to so many people? Why can't we just get over it? Now, I'm not talking about and I'm definitely not advocating for the organization Black Lives Matter. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the statement, the phrase Black Lives Matter. Why does it have to be so offensive to so many people? They are not saying, the majority of people that say Black Lives Matter are not saying that white lives don't matter or that other lives don't matter. Why can't we just get over it? Why can't we just make an effort to see past the things that rub us the wrong way and actually see the person on the other side of that statement that's hurting, that's been marginalized, that feels wounded or whatever? I think I remember Paul saying something to the effect of esteem others better than yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't matter. He's not like esteem others or consider others better than yourself because you don't matter. That's not what he was saying. That's not the heart behind it. It's just making an effort to say, you know what? I care about you. I care about where you are and I'm going to elevate you right now. It's when somebody's hurting, when somebody's sick, when somebody's in prison, when somebody's broke, when somebody's destitute, when somebody's hungry, whatever the case is, that we can actually put our own thinking and our own needs aside for a moment to reach in and to say, you know what, I am going to demonstrate the authentic love of my father. You know what, I'm going to demonstrate the authentic love of my father in heaven because because he sent his son to this world that is broken to die in our place. He did it for me just as much as he did it for you. And so I'm not going to allow my preconceived ideas or issues or whatever to get in the way of me loving effectively. I remember this was several years ago before my wife and I were married even, uh, but I remember listening in on a prophetic word that she received, and one of the statements in that prophetic word, it is a very long word, but one of the statements in that word was, no one will be able to take advantage of you because you are already going to give them the advantage. And that's not a statement of let people take advantage of you or walk all over you or anything like that, but when you put your claws away, When you get off of the defensive and stop caring so much about your rights or being right, and unfortunately, if I'm honest, just historically speaking, the church has been has been known for things that are not love, for things that are not loving, for lack of empathy, for yes, things like racism and hatred, for intolerance. Look, I remember when I was when I was a sophomore in high school. I switched schools and I and I started going to I went from a Christian school to the public school in my town and I went to the public school and I started to you know make a couple of friends here and there I didn't really know anybody and it was kind of tough but but I started to make a couple of friends here and there and I remember pretty early on like the cat wasn't necessarily fully out of the bag yet that I was a Christian because I I hadn't really built relationships yet but I remember this one day when the cat came out of the bag and I, I, I was talking to this guy that I was develop this kid that I was developing friendship with. And I told him, hey, you know, what? I'm a Christian and I don't remember the context of that conversation or anything. But here's the very first thing he said to me. Oh, so you hate gay people? Like that was the first thing that he said. And you know how kids are like he just started publicized like like there were a whole bunch of people and he was like hey guys duke hates gay people like he just started he just started putting it out there just to make me uncomfortable because that's apparently what friends do to each other but anyway it broke my heart back then and it breaks my heart now like way more 
that that is the perception that the world has about who the body of Christ is, about who the church of Jesus Christ is, about who the church of the one who left heaven to come to this world to give his life for the poor and the broken and the marginalized and the destitute and every single person, the one that left heaven, that stepped out of eternity and came and laid his life down in it, dying a gruesome death, being tortured for every single one of us, regardless of where we're from or what color we are or anything else that you can put out there. He died for all of us and for the world to look at us and to say that that that's that that's their perception, that we are intolerant to, to this type of person, that we hate gay people, for example, or that whatever it might be for that to be the perception and for that to be the thing that speaks louder. I would say that we have a problem. Like Jesus said this in John 13, verse 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, just imagine this, just imagine with me for a second. Imagine if the church of Jesus Christ loves people. If we as individuals, let's not even talk about this on a corporate level, but just imagine if that we as individuals could learn to love people so extravagantly that it would just be obvious that when you go out and you love somebody so, you love somebody so authentically and so effectively, and it doesn't mean that it takes you all day to do it. I've talked about this several times on this show where you take a moment, you take two minutes, you take five minutes or 10 minutes out of your time just to check on somebody, just to call somebody up or just to stop somebody in the store and say, you know what, can I pray for you? You know what, I just felt like God wanted me to tell you this or whatever it is, there, there are simple ways that we can demonstrate God's love authentically to people. There's ways that we can do it inauthentically too. And I'm not talking about that. There's ways that we can do it where we freak people out. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we have opportunity to stand in a place and to stand with somebody that's maybe hurting or whatever the case might be. And we just put on display the nature of who our God is, that lives are changed and transformed in incredibly profound ways. Because his grace is just so good. And he takes our simple efforts, our humble efforts, our meager efforts sometimes, and he takes them and he can amplify it to that person or to that group of people in such tremendous ways that they see Jesus through our imperfect actions. It is absolutely amazing what God will do when you just simply put yourself in a position and say, you know what, God, I'm willing. I want to be your hands. I want to be your feet. I want to represent who you are well to the world around me. And you just recognize, you know what, God's leading me to call this person or God's leading me to speak to this person or whatever. Imagine if we could love so effectively that it would just be obvious. You know what? Without us even having to say anything, you know what? This person must be a Christian. This person must be one of Christ's followers. That if that could be what speaks louder than everything else, that when they see us, that they would see love himself. That when they see us, that they would see Jesus for who he really is. And and, and if that could be the thing that our heart burns for more than anything else, that if our heart could burn more than anything else, more than being right, more than being on this side or on that side or having it all figured out or whatever, whatever, that if our lives could simply be based on this, that we want Jesus to be seen through us for who he really is. Just imagine the impact that we could begin to have on this world. 
All right, everybody. Well, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate you being here. If you haven't done so already, if you would consider subscribing to the Simple Power Podcast. And just so you know, if, if you're here on simplepowerpodcast.com, you can get this on Spotify, on Apple, on Google, on pretty much all of the major platforms for listening to podcasts. Check it out wherever it makes the most sense for you, wherever there's the least amount of friction for you. But anyway, for now, have an awesome week, guys, and I look forward to being back with you next time.